0: So when I was a young guy wanting to know and do God's will in my life, I would ask questions about, how do you know God's will? In fact, that's probably the number one question that's been asked of me more than any other question in 50-plus years in pastoral ministry. But one of the things that I was told early on was it's easier to steer a car that's moving than a car that's sitting still. Is that true? Even with power steering, have you ever tried to crank the steering wheel when you're parked in in one spot? And as soon as you start rolling, what happens? It's easier to steer a car that's moving than to steer one that's sitting still. And so we have this vehicle we're calling Hope City Church. And we've gotten this puppy moving. And there'll be some course corrections along the way, right? Right? There'll be some changes, and we'll kind of adapt and learn and grow as we go along. But we've got the vehicle rolling, and we've adopted this new name, Hope City Church. And why do we have this name as opposed to bazillion other names? You know, there's the rock and the bridge and the tree and all those churches with weird names. Our church's name means something because our ambition, our desire, is that we would be a church that's known about hope. Do people need hope or not? Families need hope. Marriages need hope. People need hope in their place of work. They need hope in their neighborhoods. They need hope in their churches. And so we want to be a church that's all about bringing hope. And so we've adopted this simple sentence that summarizes what we want to be about. And you all have memorized this sentence and you can say it with me. We exist to help people... I heard someone back there, we exist to help people experience the hope that's found in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Very good. Let's say it again. We exist to help people experience the hope that's found in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Simple, short, understandable. And so that is our hope, (laughs) our ambition and so it's been suggested that there's five things that we want to kind of wrap ourselves around. Uh, five what we want to call values. What matters to us? What's important to us as we get this vehicle rolling? This Hope City Church car, vehicle, truck, whatever you want to imagine in your mind this morning. So as we get this vehicle moving, we've said these five things that we value. And the first one is what? Love. There you go. And it's not simply love, but we want to be people known for loving unconditionally. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And we want to be people marked by loving people unconditionally. So love is number one. Number two is reach. And we are going to reach intentionally. What does that word intentionally mean? There's a plan. (laughs) There's ideas. That's not just going to be haphazard and random. We're looking to be creative, innovative, and excited about reaching people for Jesus. So we're going to love, we're going to reach, and the third we're going to teach. And how are we going to teach? Transformationally. What does that mean? We're not just dispensing information. We want to change people's lives. And our ultimate ambition is that for each one of us and people that we reach, we will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's the plan. So we're going to love, we're going to reach, we're going to teach, and then we're going to serve. And how are we going to serve? Relationally. We want to serve each other. We want to serve sacrificially. There's probably other words we could throw in there. And then the fifth one is we're going to send. We want to train and equip people for ministry. That's what it's all about. And so we're hoping to train people that will plant churches. We're hoping to train people that will go as missionaries. We're hoping to train people that will serve. Uh, wherever God wants to call and send them. So we've got this vehicle moving and rolling. And the question that I want to ask this morning is, how do we keep it moving? What needs to happen to keep it moving? And there's probably lots of answers to that question. And as we look forward to Lunch Sunday, I'm excited about Lunch Sunday, aren't you? It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Lunch Sunday. It, Are you sure? I've been here every week hearing people say lunch Sunday. There's going to be tacos. (laughs) Tacos. Lunch. Okay, apparently it's really launch Sunday. But we're going to get this vehicle moving. We're going to introduce it to the community. And that's the plan. So how do we keep this vehicle moving? Well, I want to dip back into the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah is writing a letter. Now, my wife tells me you shouldn't read other people's mail. It's a federal crime. But we're going to take a peek at this letter that Jeremiah wrote to those who were taken in exile to Babylon. So if you remember your Bible history... Somewhere about 2800 years ago, Babylon came down and conquered the city of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, destroyed the city, tore down the walls, destroyed the temple, took all of the temple instruments, the vessels, the gold, the silver, hauled all that stuff off to Babylon. Not only that, they hauled all the prime people in the land. And we're going to discover in Jeremiah chapter 1... That They took the king, the king's mother, the princes. They took all of the craftsmen, the artisans, the smiths. All the talented people were removed to Babylon. What was left behind? The unwanted. <laughs> the unwanted. There you go, Eddie. That's a good word. Uh, the poorest of the poor, uh, they were left behind in the land. All the, all the movers and shakers, people like you and me, they were taken away to Babylon. And so what's happened is these false prophets have been telling people, ah, we're only going to be in Babylon for two years. Two years, we're done, we're back home. And so Jeremiah writes this letter to let them know that's not the case. Now it's important to remember that Babylon was a pagan, immoral, Godless, idol-worshipping people. They were wicked. They were cruel in combat and warfare. These were not nice people. And the people of Judah, the southern half of Israel, have been taken captive into this godless, immoral, wicked culture. Kind of a lot like the world you and I live in. Wicked, immoral, godless, hostile. Can I use that word, hostile? You and I are in a culture that is hostile to what we believe. It's hostile to the practices that we engage in. Same setting as Jeremiah writes. And so I want you to come with me this morning to Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to, in spite of the uh, federal laws against reading other people's mail... We're going to read this letter. And so in the first couple of verses, first three verses is kind of the context that I've sort of kind of summarized. And then we get to look at the content of the letter beginning in verse four. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by... We all ought to read this next verse out loud together. We really should. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, the Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying... So here's all the people. They're in exile. And here's the content of the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, "...plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there, and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare." For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. That was the problem he was addressing here. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years, how many years? 70 years. That's a little different from two years that the false prophet had just told him. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. And there's four things that Jeremiah addresses here that I think are important to us. Just as it was important to those people 2,800 years ago in that hostile, pagan, immoral, godless, idol-worshiping culture, It's important for us today in this culture. And so the first thing that impresses me in these verses is this. It's important for us to believe that we are where God wants us to be. Who took the people of Judah and Jerusalem into exile in Babylon? Ah, we're reading carefully. Because it says one time Nebuchadnezzar took them, and twice it says who took them? God took them into captivity. Whose plan was it for them to be in Babylon? God's plan. So in the providence and plan of God, His people were taken in judgment to Babylon for 70 years. They were exactly where God wanted them to to be. How does that strike you? Imagine yourself 2,800 years ago, getting hauled off in captivity to Babylon, removed from your home, your culture, your language, your place of worship. You're forcibly extracted, taken to this pagan idolatrous country. And God says, I brought you here. This is my plan for you. How do you respond to that? What? Why? And I would suggest to you that you and I are exactly where God wants us to be. This church, and I'm not talking necessarily about the building, because you understand you and I are the church, right? This just happens to be a building we meet in. We could convert it to a bowling alley if we wanted to, but we're not going to do that. We're exactly where God wants us to be. This property that we occupy, God has provided for us and He has placed us here. We are exactly where He wants us to be. Is that true? So we're not here by accident. We're not here in the city of Norwalk by accident. We're not here on the corner of Foster Road and Studebaker by accident. God has put us here just as certainly as he put his people in Babylon in that wicked, immoral, godless, idolatrous culture. He has put us here. Does that thrill you? Well, it ought to if you realize we're exactly where God wants us to be. I don't know about you, but I frequently tell the Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. And I have prayed more than once in my lifetime, and I've told the Lord, I think I'm where you want me to be. I think I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm moving forward. The car's in motion. I'm not having trouble. I just need to know, you know, how to steer this puppy. And the Lord more more times than not has uh, directed that vehicle. I've got it rolling. I've got it moving. We're exactly where God wants us to be, doing what we believe God wants us to do. And as we move forward to lunch Sunday, that's the plan, right? It's all about the tacos. Trust me on that. It's all about the tacos. So we're exactly where God wants us to be. This is no accident. In your notes, I call it the place of sovereign choice. He has chosen you and me to be here now, at this point in time, at this point in history, in this place. No mistakes, no accidents, right? The second thing I notice, not only is it important for me to believe that I'm exactly where God wants me to be, It's also important that while I'm here, I enter into the life of this community, this city. I enter into this fully. And notice how how Jeremiah describes this. He says, build houses. They're all pairs, okay? So notice the pairs. P-A-I-R. Pairs. Build houses and do what? Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Um, Take wives and become fathers. Give your sons... uh, Or take wives for your sons. Give your daughters husbands that they may do what? Multiply, not decrease. And so, Jeremiah is telling people, enter fully into this pagan, idolatrous, immoral, wicked culture that you live in. And... If you build houses and live in them, what's implied? If you plant gardens and eat the produce, what's implied? If you take wives and have sons and daughters and then give sons and daughters in marriage and they multiply, what's implied? There's lots of things implied, but the first thing that impresses me is this. If your boss told you tomorrow morning... You know, you're doing a great job. I want to promote you. I'm going to move you up. But you're going to need to relocate to Phoenix. Double the salary. Uh, we am going to provide you everything you need in Phoenix. But you need, you're going to be here just two more years and then you're going to Phoenix. And then you come home from work and your wife says, You know, I think we need to build a new house. How long would it take to build a new house? So, would you build a new house if you knew you were going to be in Phoenix in two years? No. Would you plant a garden if you knew you were going to be in Phoenix in two years? Well, some of you would because you're crazy. (laughs) I think the point that Jeremiah is making here is he's emphasizing what he's just getting ready to tell them again. You're going to be here for 70 years. If you're only going to be here for two years, I wouldn't be telling you to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat and have children and have you, those children have children. Right. And so Solomon is or Solomon. What's the guy's name? Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah is emphasizing to them. You are going to be here for a long time. Seventy years is. A, well, I'm almost 74. So it doesn't seem that long to me. But 70 years is a long time. So His wisdom and advice to them in this wicked, immoral, godless, idolatrous culture is to do what? Enter fully into the life where you are. You know, sometimes we have this idea that we need to kind of keep ourselves removed from this wicked, immoral, idolatrous, godless culture. And some of us are frustrated. Would that be a good word? Frustrated with the political climate in the state of California. Anybody happy with where California is and where it seems to be going? And so most people's solution is to do what? Move to Tennessee or Idaho. Or Texas. Nobody is saying move to Kansas. Who said Kansas? <laughs> Trust me, no one wants to go to Kansas. I've been to Tennessee. I could do that. I've been to Texas. Not. Uh, no. Like Kansas? No. I know, Tom, you're the Texas guy. But All right. Lulu just wants to go for the football team. I know that. But Jeremiah is telling them, enter into this culture. Don't withdraw. Don't leave. They're not going back to Jerusalem anyway. They're kind of captive. He says, enter into this place where you're living. Not only does he tell them that they need to enter into this culture. um, Enter into it. I would say enter into it fully. But engage with this culture. And there's different ways to do that. I've been kind of fascinated, Samuel, that your engagement with the Norwalk Facebook page has now elevated you to a top contributor. Yeah. And uh, Samuel pops in with stuff now and again about the city and what it's doing, but uh, I notice periodically he does something with a little more spiritual flavor to it. Pretty soon you'll be able to say something about that new launch, lunch thing going on. Anyway, um, we were engaged with, a, with the uh, farmer's market up here by City Hall for many, many months. And then they discontinued their Saturday morning operation. But there's how do we fully engage? We, we, we need to explore that and, and talk about that. So enter into the life of the city. And take an active, this is the third thought I have, take an active role in pursuing the well-being of our city. We want to make it a priority that we're, we're seeking to have impact. We don't just come here on Sunday morning, a few of us show up on Friday nights or Tuesday nights. That's not what this is about. This is, isn't just a social club for us to get together and have a good time and hear Jessica play the saxophone, right? Was that an awesome song, that arrangement thing uh, for the offering? was that. A, I think that was kind of a reggae thing. Is that what you called it? Whatever it was, I loved it. Do it again. Where was I going before I went there? So, th- this, is, this it's all about the tacos, Kathy. It's all about the tacos. So, this isn't just a social club where we get together and enjoy each other as much as we do that. But... Our ambition is to impact the culture. And that's what Jeremiah tells these people. Notice this verse. Because this verse is the heart and soul of what I want you to wrap your heart around this morning. He says to them in verse... Where would it go? Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And do what? Pray. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. 3 times in verse 7 in my translation uses the word welfare. Does the translation you're reading this morning use a different word? What word does it use? Prosperous. What's the other one? Peace. So the Hebrew word translated here prosperous, peace and well, welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. When you hear the word shalom, what do you think of? Peace. So, the idea of the word shalom is bigger than just peace. That's the normal, typical word that's used uh, to simply translate it in one word. But it includes the idea of prosperity. It includes the idea of happiness. It includes the idea of well being or welfare. He says, Seek the well being, seek the prosperity, seek the peace of your city where God has placed you. You're here by sovereign choice. We're in this community by God's plan and design. We want to have an impact. And Jeremiah says, same thing he said 2,800 years ago to the people of Judah as they were in Babylon. He wants us to hear this morning, we are to seek the well-being of our community. The peace, prosperity, stability, happiness, health of our city. By the way, the word translated before the word welfare or peace or prosperity in my translation is the word seek, S-E-E-K. Anybody have a different word there in your translation? No? So the word seek is a fascinating word to me because it means to wear a path. And you go, so what does that mean? So if you wear a path, what does that suggest? You're traveling at what, Steve? Often, you're wearing a path. And so we're to wear a path pursuing what? The well-being, health, prosperity of our city. And by the way... While you're pursuing the well being of your community, I want you to do secondly what? Pray. So here they are. Go back 2,800 years now. Here they are. Forcibly removed from their homes, forcibly removed from their culture, forcibly removed from their language. And taken captives to a foreign country, foreign culture, foreign language that is godless, immoral, and hostile to what they believe and practice. And God says, I want you to pray for these people, for this city. I wonder how they responded to that. Do what? Didn't Jesus say something similar? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Uh, That that whole conversation. Um, Pray for your enemies. And so, Jeremiah wants us to understand we're where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do. We need to fully engage in this community. We're going to be here for a while. We're not leaving for Tennessee. Right? Right? I don't know. Some of you want to go to Tennessee. I can tell. And he says, I want you to pursue, do whatever you can. Wear a path. Do whatever you can to bring about the well-being and health and prosperity of your community. And pray. (sighs) So does our city need prayer? Now, I realize not all of us live in Norwalk, right? Um, any of you live in Bellflower? I know there's at least one couple lives in Lakewood, right, Susan? Who lives in Santa Fe Springs? Not hitting any of the hot buttons there. Pico Rivera? Well, there we go. I, found, I, knew, I, I knew there's one. Whittier? Okay. Laverne? Where is Laverne? Laverne's right next to Shirley on the 210 freeways. Thank you, Steve. But do do our cities need prayer? That's a big duh, right? So I did a little research this week. I was curious what I could learn about the city of Norwalk. I can't do this for all those other cities. You can do your own research. Google it. So Norwalk currently has an estimated population of 105,000 people. Uh, our city covers 9.75 square miles. Now this is interesting. 67.7% of people in Norwalk live in a home where a language other than English is spoken. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of the homes... In the city of Norwalk, have a language other than English spoken in their home. Now, I'm assuming that all of you speak English. Is that a good assumption? Okay, just out of curiosity, in how many of your homes do you speak also another language besides English? Yeah, is there anybody who has a language besides Spanish at home? Yeah, the Ethiopian couple's not here this morning, so I can't say that. And so one of the realities, as we have this Hope City thing going forward, is there's a large percentage of the population here, and probably a pretty good percentage of those where another only another language is spoken. Would that be a good assumption? And so that needs to impact uh, some of our thinking as we get this... Puppy Roland. Oh, here's an interesting thing. (laughs) Housing expenses are 118% higher than the national average. Did anybody already guess that? (laughs) Um, Did you notice this on your Facebook uh, City of Norwalk page this week? Somebody had just recently moved into Norwalk and they were asking, What do you do here and where do you eat? And the answer was we have too many blankety blank car washes and there's no place to eat. We eat in Cerritos or Downey. <laughs> Welcome to Norwalk. Did you read that? Welcome to Norwalk. There's no good places to eat and there's way too many car washes. Oh, and ninety nine cent stores too. Yeah. But and you know where every single one of them is. <laughs> Okay, that's, I don't know if that's good news or bad news, all that stuff. That was, so I thought, I wonder what the crime statistics are for the city of Norwalk. You know, so, and this is from 2020, so it's a couple of years old, but crime in Norwalk is higher than 76.6% of U.S. cities. Well, welcome to California, right? That's no surprise. Um, City of Norwalk in 2020 had four homicides that year. Out of 105,000 people, that's probably, we ought to be grateful for that. 207 major crimes were committed. Murder, rape, burglary, robbery, assault, theft, arson. Those are major crimes. 207 in Norwalk. And just for the benefit of those who are following along from other cities, Santa Fe Springs, 464. Artesia, 229, Cerritos, 200, Bellflower, 265, Downey, 188, La Mirada, 127, Lakewood, 193. So we all need to move to La Mirada, it sounds like, right? (laughs) And so I read some of this and part of it's kind of interesting and part of it's kind of puzzling. But my point is... Our cities need hope. Our cities need God's peace and well-being. How is our city, or any of the cities that we live in, how are we going to find and discover God's peace, God's prosperity, God's well-being, and God's hope? How is that going to happen? Ball's in our court, I think, is what Jeremiah is saying. So, some people's solution to the problem in a city is to move to Tennessee. Some people's solution is despair. You just kind of wring your hands and mumble and complain and whine about all the circumstances and that crummy uh, guy Gascon in LA County. You know, we just, we complain about all this stuff. Some people lock their doors. They buy security locks, security lights, security bars, ring. Doorbells and and so on. and all those things are good. I understand that. Good guard, you've got at least three good guard dogs. I've lost track. Yeah, don't let anyone steal my bicycle. That's my count, count on. Oh, good, good choice, good decision. Yeah, my wife won't let me park my bike in the di- dining room. So, I know, I know. Well, that's we'll talk about that later. We don't want to bother all these all these good people about that. Majority of people think the solution is the government. We just need the government to spend more money, do more education. You know, Ronald Reagan years ago said, government is not the solution, government is the problem. Yeah, so we're not, we're not going there. And so, Jeremiah is telling you and me in this letter that we're where God wants us to be, We need to enter in to this community where he's planted us. We need to engage in meaningful and significant ways in this community. And then the fourth thing that impresses me, which is finally the good news in this whole story, is we need to enjoy the blessings that God promises. Does God promise blessings in this passage? Wow, does he ever. Ever. And, you know, we've, we've heard people quote verse 11 multiple times. I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord. Not plans for disaster or calamity, but plans to give you a future and a hope. And there's a, it's important to realize that that promise was given when? Was it given at the end Of 70 years? Or was it given at the beginning of 70 years? The beginning. And so this promise that God makes is way down there. 70 years. And between here and there, what's going to happen? We're living in this pagan, immoral, godless, wicked culture. Engage, pray and seek the welfare where you are, because God promises all these wonderful things of spiritual renewal, that this will be a time of spiritual renewal. I am I'm, i don't have plans for disaster. It's maybe ugly along the way, but ultimately my plans are for good, right? And he says, I want you to understand you're going to seek me. Why why were they in Babylon, by the way? Well, they were sent there, but why did God send them to Babylon? Was this a vacation trip? Was this the three-hour cruise gone bad? God sent them to Babylon as a form of judgment because they didn't, what's the word, Tom? Obey Him. They were not rightly relating with Him as their God. And so God, as judgment, sends them to Babylon. And now He tells them, I have good plans for you. They're they're down the road. The good stuff's down the road. And He says to them, in verse 13, you will seek Me and find Me when you do what? Search for Me with all your heart. What is God's ambition for His people when they find themselves surrounded by a godless, immoral, wicked, idol-worshipping culture, turn to Him, trust in Him, obey Him, follow Him, pursue relationship with Him. God wants relationship with you more than you want relationship with Him, right? God wants to have a meaningful, significant relationship with you and with our neighbors around us. He wants to have that relationship with you more than you want to have it. He wants to have it with those folks out there more than they want to have it. And sadly, more times than not, more than we want it for them. And so Jeremiah is telling God's people, you're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Verse 14, I will be found by you. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. And I will bring you where? Back. Back. to the place where I sent you into exile. And so God's promise is we're where He wants us to be, Right? We're doing what He wants us to do. We're to engage with this culture, live in this culture, be a part of this culture. Jesus tells us to be salt and light in this culture. And God's ambition is that on this journey, that we'll draw nearer to Him. So God's ambition, if you're going to go anywhere... Instead of going to Tennessee, where does He want you to go? To Him. To where? Who said Kansas again? God's ambition is not for you to go to Tennessee or Kansas. God's ambition is for you and me to go to Him. And so whining and complaining about California, the politics, price of gas. I'm not going to go there. God says, I want you to draw near to me. That's what I'm after. I want you to draw near to me. Believe you're where God wants you to be. Enter into that culture. Seek its welfare. Pray for its welfare. Pursue its welfare. And I promise to bless you with spiritual renewal. If you just turn to me and look to me. That's what God wants. And so, as I like to say, so what? Um... Are there practical ways that we could become actively involved in our city in a way that will make a kingdom difference? The answer to that question is what? Yes. So I'm reminded, one of my bike riding buddies told me one day, he said, you know what we need to do? I said, no, what do we need to do? We need to start a Christian cycling club. And I said, why would we do that? He says, well, we could get together, we could pray together, we could have fellowship together, we could, it'd be awesome. And I said, how about instead of that, we infiltrate the pagan cycling clubs that already exist? Well, that's a novel idea. You ever driven by a church that has a big sign out front? Jazzercise. I hope they're inviting the community into that. Is not just a bunch of church ladies getting together and stretching, right? Are there things we could be doing? And I just jotted some random things that come to me, things that I've done, things I've heard about. Uh, we could attend city council meetings. We could participate, ask questions, give insights about the city, tell them they got too many car washes. Um, there's volunteer opportunities in the city. There's things like uh, meals on wheels, is that what it's called? Meals on wheels. Um, hospital. How many volunteers does the average hospital have every day? Any guesses, Jennifer? Hundred. Or you know, the front desk when I checked in to go visit Steve yesterday, there were six people sitting there, all volunteers except for the paid security guard. Um, places to volunteer. There's citizen committees. Um, I served on a committee in our city that was originally called the Red Ribbon Committee was involved in elementary schools and the whole red ribbon. No drugs here thing. Um, Andrea and I were a part of a committee that raised money and built a veterans memorial in our city. Look for places, find places where you can volunteer a few hours, engage with people, meet people. Groups like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, those kind of organizations are always looking for volunteers. ESL classes. Um, There's always places looking for people to just sit and have conversation in English, help people that are learning English. Um, I did that for several years. Didn't learn any Spanish or Japanese. I did learn two words in Japanese. Oh, how gizimas. Did Jennifer and your gang come home with any new Japanese words? You should have, learned, should have learned the names of all kinds of food. All your pictures had food in them. Um, oh, what else is on my list? Um, schools. Look for volunteers. Um, anyway, are we where God wants us to be? And are there opportunities for us to infiltrate the community? We don't need to create our own little Christian social club. We need to penetrate. and. How should we pray for our city? Jeremiah said, seek the welfare of your city and pray for it. Do you pray for the city you live in? Do you pray for the city council, the mayor, the city manager, the city staff? Even backing up as we pray for our city, do you pray regularly for Pastor Oscar, for Pastor Tim, for the rest of our staff? Do you pray regularly for the ministry leaders in our church, Janine with the women, Judith with the children? Are you praying regularly and praying that God would give us creativity, God would give us energy to find new ways to impact our city with the hope of a life-changing relationship for Jesus I would suggest you and I would count myself among the number um, we don't pray enough for our city there was a period of time where I would go for a bike ride down on the river and when I came back from the river I would ride around the elementary school which one's that is that New River? I would ride around New River and pray for the students and the staff for safety and protection, and that God would open the door of opportunity there for good news clubs. And then I would go down here to D.D. Johnston and do the same thing and pray. And then I would go over to the middle school, that name I forget because I haven't been over there for a while, and I would pray around the middle school. And then I'd go down here to Norwalk High and ride my bike around and pray. We need to pray. For our city, we need to pray that God would open doors of opportunity for us to make a difference and make an impact here. Um, I don't know how many of you have taken one of the outreach areas that Pastor Oscar has been talking to us about. Tim mentioned again this morning, Felipe has been out here in the courtyard with a map and opportunities for for each one of us to just adopt a simple neighborhood. And it might be one right where you live. That's what I would do if I lived in Norwalk. I would say, I want that turf around my house. But what we're suggesting is that you would pick one of those outreach areas and make that a target for prayer. Just like Jeremiah says, pray for your city. Um, Yesterday, my wife and I went out to our outreach area down over here on the other side of Fairford going east, Those people who live on Fairford need hope because people drive down that street at like 60 miles an hour. It's absolutely nuts. But my wife and I walked that neighborhood and handed out... You've all seen one of these about lunch Sunday? So we went around, and it's basically pretty simple. Most of the houses, there were people around, but I walked up to the door, I slipped one of these into the screen door and left. No conversation, no engagement, nothing. I met a young man on crutches and talked to him for a few minutes. His sister had a little conversation with them, invited them to come to lunch Sunday. Um, Met another guy, just backed into his driveway, rolled down his window, invited him to lunch Sunday. But as we walked, we prayed. And when we finished handing out our last flyer, walking back, we prayed. Prayed for those folks that... We didn't meet face to face, but they now have a piece of literature inviting them to to our launch and our lunch. I wonder what God could do if we could saturate the city of Norwalk with a simple invitation for tacos. I wonder. I wonder what God could do. And I just want to encourage you. You say, well, Roy, you've talked about walking. You've talked about riding your bike around neighborhoods. I can't walk and I don't have a bike. Probably have a car. Could you drive a neighborhood and pray? And pray for those people that live in those neighborhoods, live on those streets. Pray that God in His grace would reach down to them and draw them to Himself. Pray that if there's people there that used to go to church, have had bad church experiences, that somehow God would use a simple card like this to bring them back. I wonder what God could do as we pray for our city, as we seek its welfare, as we look for places to make a difference and make an impact. So I want to challenge you this morning. We got the car moving. It's rolling. And yeah, there's going to be some course corrections. There's going to be some changes. But what's going to fuel the vehicle? It's going to be you and me, obedient to God's call to pursue and to pray. If we pursue the welfare of our city, looking for places to have impact, places to engage with new people, places to make new friends, What could God do? What could He do? Lord, we can only imagine what You might do in this city, in this community. Lord, we've prayed. We've pleaded with You to open doors of opportunity. We've invested in moving forward with a fresh vision, a fresh face. And we're trusting You today to use us for your glory in the city of Norwalk. Lord, we pray for your blessing. We pray for your prosperity. We pray for your peace, your health for this city. We pray for those in leadership in our city, our city council, our mayor, the city manager, the city staff, many of whom, no doubt, do not know you. Pray, Lord, your blessing upon them. Use them as they, they seek the welfare of our city and help us to discover ways to come aside and help them. And I pray as well for Pastor, Pastor Oscar, for our elders, for the rest of our ministry staff leaders, that Lord, You would infuse us with a fresh energy, a fresh creativity, a fresh passion to reach this city for Jesus. Lord, we want to be a people who are helping others experience the life-changing relationship, the hope that's found in a life-changing relationship with Jesus, the hope that we have. We want to help others to find it as well. And so, Lord, we have this, this vehicle rolling, this Hope City Church, and we're trusting You to use us to keep moving it forward. By Your grace... The power and infilling of your Holy Spirit, the encouragement and challenge of your word, impel us forward, is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.